And thank you guys. It's really an honor to be here and uh, always a blessing to be able to share. I think really this is like the best part of getting to work at a church. Chip's out on vacation and uh, I get to do the fun part here and we get to look at God's word today. Um, we get to continue this series that we're in. Last week we talked about this series is The Courage to Continue, uh, or The Courage, It Takes Courage, sorry. And last week we talked about the courage it takes to stand up for what is right, what is true, and that does take a lot of courage. And then today we're gonna be talking about the courage it takes to keep going, uh, just to kind of get it back up and try again in the midst of, of failures and, and all the resistance in life and even the suffering and the misery that life can bring, that we can get up and keep going. We're going to be looking at uh, the book of Job today. So if you want to turn there, it's a big, it's a big book. Um, it's going to be tough to try to encapsulate all of that here in 15 or 20 minutes, but there is some really powerful, powerful things in this book. And uh, as I studied it this week, I was convicted and I was humbled um, and I was challenged and I think there's a lot of really good stuff for us today. But I was just kind of, you know, thinking back and, you know, I remember being a freshman in college and for some reason or another I decided to study mechanical engineering, which really to me just sounded cool. I was like, that sounds cool. Can't wait to say that I do that. <laughs> but uh, what I didn't realize is what I was getting into. I was definitely getting into something a little over my head and maybe something that I was not even really qualified to do. My freshman year, I remember I took a moment and I mapped out the entire 10 semesters that lay before me. And I put every single class on a board and I sat there in my room and I looked at it and I thought, no way. There's no way I can do this. This is gonna take, one, it's gonna take forever. It's gonna be way too hard. There were class names in there I couldn't even pronounce. And it was gonna cost way too much money. I mean, whoa, this was impossible for me. But I knew that this is what God wanted me to do for some reason. And I knew that if I was going to do it, that it could only be the grace of God on my side because it just was a monumentous task. And after I graduated, I can say that my perspective on challenges was quite different. Uh, I was not most proud of my accomplishments anymore. I was actually most proud of my failures. I remember, I remember at my graduation party, and actually throughout all of college, I had kept all of my F's and D's. I thought, I want people to know how hard this was for me. I wasn't the best scholar, I wasn't the smartest person. I, I failed a lot of tests. I don't know if that's just part of engineering school or like their tactic for teaching, but I kept them all and, I, and at my graduation party I proudly displayed them on my tables for all to see so they could know how many hurdles I had to jump through and how much discouragement I had to get over. You know, each time I would get a test back, a big F, big D, how did I respond to that? How did that affect me? I could have been like, man, this is way too hard for me. I look over at my neighbor and I'm like, B, A, how did you, oh, I'm not cut out for this. I can't tell you how many times you'd think that. I'm not, this isn't for me. But I kept trying. And I had to put up with that failure over and over again. You know, this failure is kind of like this resistance that we feel. 
Uh, you know, resistance, we're all familiar with that. You could have like procrastination or, you know, maybe you're just tired. It's like wanting to go to the gym, but there's this like pressure pushing back on you. You're like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go. This resistance that we feel, this failures maybe or struggles that you have. But resistance is kind of cool because you can actually kind of use resistance like a guide in life. There's a, a great book uh, called The Art of War, kind of like a play on words, like the war of art. And the author, he says that, like a magnetic needle floating on the surface of oil, resistance will unfailingly point to true north, meaning that the calling or action it most wants to stop you from doing, we can use this. We can use it as a compass. We can navigate by resistance. Sorry guiding us to that calling or action that we must follow before all others. The rule of thumb is the more important the call or action to our soul's evolution, the more resistance we'll feel pushing towards you. I know this to be true. I know we all know this to be true. It's like we, we have these goals, these ambitions, and we want to pursue them, but there's this resistance. But that's okay. That means that you're doing the right thing. The harder it is, push through that. Push through that. But failures and resistance, honestly, that's only part of it. You know, in college, I would say there was also this sense of suffering that came with it. Suffering can even be a result of success. Maybe it meant like staying up really late to study for a test that I really need to put the extra time into to get that A. Well, I was suffering because maybe I didn't sleep at all or I sacrificed the time that I would have rather spent with my family or going to a party and hanging out with my friends. I was suffering. Maybe, maybe suffering looks like getting sick. I mean, sickness. Come on, guys. We know all about sickness. I think I've had COVID like five times. I don't even Now, granted, I haven't taken a test every time, but it feels like in the past two years, I've been more sick than my entire life. It could just be a perspective thing. But sickness, sickness is the worst kind of resistance. And, and suffering is is horrible. I mean, I know that we all know what it's like to be sick. Not just sick, maybe even unhealthy. I mean, I, uh, I've unfortunately had my spouts with unhealthiness. I had like thrown out my back. I know I'm too young for that, but geez, gosh, I was humbled. I was weak. I mean, these thoughts that you have in the midst of this pain, there's a dark place to go to in your mind. You think things that aren't true, and you question your life. You, you have, I kind of have, I have existential moments when I'm sick, and I'm, I have the flu, and I'm on the couch sucking my thumb, and I'm like, God, why? What is my life that you would give me this pain? What is this torture? I mean, it's, it's a dark place. I, 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 I luckily have a wife that can comfort me, but even, you know, then it's like, it's like you just feel so hurt and alone and you're suffering and pain. Our bodies, you know, we, you know, we go through so much anguish and turmoil, you'd almost seek, think that we're seeking it out. Like, it seems like every day we're finding a new calamity in our life or a new problem or a new health issue or a new, you know, another reason to suffer. It's almost like, you know, you wonder if, if you see somebody suffering and I know you think like, man, what did they, what did, or what did I do to deserve this? God, why has this come upon me? How have I offended you in such a way 
that I would feel this pain. You know, anguish is, is a different kind of pain because maybe it's not external. Maybe it's not like a bruise or a cut or your back going out or the flu. Maybe it's an internal pain, like heartache. I know that I, I'm prone to feeling that heartache. It's like someone's like stabbing your heart. Sometimes you don't even know why. Or, or depression. It's like this pit where even like, depression can be terrible because even your favorite foods taste like dust. Nothing seems to be what it is. It's, life has lost its color, flavor. It's gone. We suffer anguish. It's terrible. And I often wonder, what are the thoughts of somebody, a person, who has lost everything and is dying? What are the thoughts that we have as we lose everything in this life and pass on and to be in the presence of God? What are the thoughts of, of somebody going through that? I actually think that the story of Job is, is somewhat like that. You know, we read about this man who suffered the worst suffering imaginable. It, it's just, it hurts to read it. It's so bad. But these thoughts he has, it's, it's you can sympathize. And I could sympathize. I almost felt the suffering as I read it. And we look at the story of Job. Um, he, he was a great man. He was uh, the wealthiest man in the world. He was the most prominent man. He was the most influential man. Very powerful, awesome man. And God had some very impressive compliments about Job. I'm just going to give you a brief overview so that we can dive into this because it's a bit meaty, but I'm going to try to kind of give us a brief overview so that we can kind of take this in. So we're, we're introduced to Job, this awesome guy. He's blessed beyond measure, very wealthy. And yet he fears God. And here comes, on the heavenly plane, here comes Satan, comes into the presence of God. Kind of sneaks in there, it seems. The, the, the sons of God or the angels come before God and here comes Satan, kind of sneaks in there. And God says, oh, Satan, where, where have you been? And he says, oh, I've been just walking around on the earth, to and fro, your little creation there. Yeah, I've just been looking at it, causing mischief here and there. It's all right. It's not that great. God says, oh, really? Have you considered my servant Job? You read in uh, Job 1.8. You can put that up there. Have you considered my servant Job, Satan? There's no one like him on the entire earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. What a fantastic compliment, first of all. I mean, can you imagine God saying that about you in the face of Satan, bragging upon you? He's using Job to show Satan how awesome his creation is. Have you considered him, though, Satan, my servant Job, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Just on your own, just go ahead and plug your name in there and see how that makes you feel, God talking about you that way. I know that I don't feel like I deserve that compliment. But boy, would it be cool to have on my tombstone. But man, what an, what an awesome compliment. But Satan, of course, pfft, Job? No, God, he's shallow. He doesn't love you. 
You think Job loves you? No, Job only loves you, God, because you give him stuff. It's transactional. He just wants your goods. He wants your blessings. He wants your protection. I bet if you took all that away, he would curse you to your face. You know what God says? He says, all right. He's under your care now. Because God knew that Job would love him no matter what. That the love wasn't transactional. That it was authentic and real. It was a father-son relationship. Does a son only love his father because he gives him good things? And so Satan, the first thing he does, what a terrible 24 hours for Job. Everything he has is taken away. His wealth, all of his flocks, his cattle, his goats, his farm, his servants, dead and stolen. Everything was destroyed in one day. And on top of that, his children killed in a freak accident all on the same day. Horrible, horrible day. Unimaginable pain. First of all, the thought of losing a child, let alone all of them, on top of just losing everything you've ever known and worked for, gone. Terrible. But yet we read in Job 120, verse 21, how Job responded. Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, this is such a profound, it's like Shakespeare. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in verse 22, in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Whoa, okay, whoa. What an incredible response to just having lost everything in life. But as we, again, we're just moving through here and Satan then comes back into God's presence. You would think a little defeated because he was wrong. And God says, oh, hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Oh, have you considered him? And Satan says, yeah, yeah, Job, skin for skin. Job's selfish. He only cares about himself. No wonder. I bet if you took his health from him, he would curse you to your face. And God says, go ahead, but only spare his life. And so then we jump back in and Satan causes horrible sores to appear all over Job's body. I mean, this guy, at this point, this is the lowest of the low. Job has lost everything, he's even lost his health, and at this point, everyone around him despises him. They think, what have you done? You must have been so unrighteous. The Lord has cursed you. And then you look in Job 2, 9 and his response. Unfortunately, even his wife despising him. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job did not curse God in all of these things. This is incredible. I mean, for one, God was right. God rightly judged Job. Satan was wrong. Satan's mouth was silenced. God was correct. Job was used to silence Satan. 
Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I'll tell you though, in, in the end, Job was blessed twice as much as he had lost before. And I'm not saying that he didn't deal with the sufferings and the memories of, of his children dying. But in the end, God did restore to him everything twice so. So that's kind of the book of Job in a nutshell. In fact, chapters 1 and 2 are kind of a whole summary, and then chapter 42. But everything in between there is this conversation that, that Job is having with his three friends. His three friends come to comfort him, try to give him words of wisdom. It's, it's very poetic, full of wisdom. It's fantastic literature. But I want to question today is what, what perspective could we, have, could we possibly adopt that would allow us to respond in the way that Job did? Because quite honestly, it seems impossible. You could find yourself thinking, man, like, there's absolutely no way I would ever respond that way. Uh, and there's just no way I could do that. When, when tough times come in my life, it's like, it's a disaster. I get frustrated, I question things, I question my faith. How could I possibly respond like this man? God would never say such a thing about me. You could think that Job, maybe he's just really tough. Boy, Job, he must be a tough dude dealing with all that pain and all that, that suffering. Maybe I just need to buck up. I just need to get tougher. Is that the answer? I don't think so. I don't think this is a matter of being stronger, tougher, more calloused. That's not, that's not the solution here to dealing with suffering. Because when you look at this, that's not what got Job through this. You know, it's a confusing book because as you read the counsel of his three friends, you realize that they're kind of missing it a little bit. They're trying to give him wisdom. And honestly, guys, what do you say to somebody who's just lost their entire family, lost all their possessions, and is suffering and anguish? How do you comfort them? Just like, it's going to be all right. No, I mean, I don't know what to say. I don't even know what to say at a funeral. You know, sometimes I'm at a loss for words. What do you say when someone's experienced such terrible tragedy? How do you comfort them? What words of wisdom do we share? And sometimes we find ourselves being judgmental, um, you know, just trying to question, God, why did this happen? Why do good thi bad things happen to good people? Why are we suffering? Why do we feel so much pain? These questions are pretty natural. But in the midst of this story, there's a couple things that I really want to pull out. And we'll, we don't have time to do a lot of them, but there's a couple that really inspired me. And that is uh, this, this young man named Elihu, one of the men that were standing there. The three men that were speaking to him must have been of age, of very wise, uh, had a lot of life experience. But this young man, Elihu, was not, he was young. And yet, the Lord uses him. I know that I struggle with this, you know, feeling like, what words do I have to share? What wisdom could I possibly offer? What comfort do I have for somebody at this point in their life? But yet, Elihu speaks up. And you look and you jump over to Job 32. 
Elihu, he was waiting to speak out of respect because they were all older than him. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer from the mouth of these men, so they were all just at a loss for words. They, they, they just didn't know what to say. And, and Elihu burned with anger, and he said, in verse 6, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, I'll let the days speak, and the many years will teach wisdom. But no, it is the spirit that is in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. This is so awesome. Because I know that no matter how old I get, I'm always going to struggle with this. What do I have to offer? What do I have to give? How could I share something with you? But here, Elihu says, it is the Spirit of God that is in man, the breath of the Almighty that gives understanding. That's why I love the phrase in the vineyard, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Because there's this acknowledgement that I really don't have anything to give you. I don't have the wisdom. And I wouldn't stand up here and share my own wisdom with you. This isn't a pep talk that I came up with. This is the word of God. It's the only thing that could speak to your heart. The breath of the Almighty. It really is. And so Elihu begins to speak. And as you read through this, this incredible this, this presentation, in fact, he spent like two or three chapters just telling Job to listen. He's like, God, Job, you gotta listen to me. Please, listen to me. Job, open your heart up and listen. I have something to say to you, Job, would you just listen to me? Just urging him, Job, listen, please listen. And then he begins to tell him how wondrous and how awesome God is. And as he begins to speak, it's like the very presence of God comes down and speaks to Job, just humbling him. Almost a little harsh, a little, little direct, but it's what Job needed. Elihu was being used by God to speak life into this broken man who needed it. Because guys, I'm sure at that point he was contemplating over and over again. He says, why was I even born, God? Cursed be the day that I came into the earth. Why did my mother even nurse me? I should have shriveled up and died. He hated it. He hated his life. How could you, how could you possibly turn somebody around from that dark place? It seems impossible could this man possibly be normal again? No. He was broken. He had lost everything. And I know that some of us feel that way. Guys, I know it to be true. I'm just going to call it out because it's a fact. We struggle. We're in anguish and we're in suffering and we question what we're doing here. And God, why would this happen? God, what? Our food can taste like dust but yet Job was restored if you jump in uh, Job 42 after Elihu was done speaking 
Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things and that there's no purpose of yours that can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here, I will speak, I will question you and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you with my eyes. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in ashes. Believe it or not, this was the turning point in Job's life. After this, you know, he had, he had a revelation about who God was. Even in the midst of this horrible experience in his life, he comes back to God with hope and he's restored. But I love the last line there because it's not what you expect. It says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Okay, that word despise is pretty rough. But let me just, just to grab your attention, should we despise ourselves? Maybe that's, is that the key? I know it doesn't sound right, but let's explore that for just a little bit. Despising yourself? I think it's kind of in comparison to what? Because if you light a lighter, that flame is hot. But if you compare it to the sun, it's cold. Job didn't despise himself because he wasn't awesome. In fact, he was awesome. He was the best in the entire earth. He was God's favorite. He was awesome. But in comparison to God, he was nothing. He was nothing. In comparison to God, what is anything? What is our suffering in comparison to the wonder and majesty of the God who created the entire universe, who founded its cornerstone, who stretched it out, who counted your days, who knitted you together. What are we in comparison to him? <laughs> there's, a, oh, just a <laughs> there's a funny, uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched Major Pain, but you know, he's like, when you have pain, Major Payne says, I can take your mind off that pain. Then he breaks his finger. He's like, yeah, give you something else to think about. Sometimes that works, though. You're like, oh, my foot. And he's like, boom. Like, oh, my face. Your foot doesn't hurt anymore, does it? You're like, you're right. It's a little misdirection, a little distraction technique. And guys, it works. Because you know what happens in our minds? First of all, your mind, your soul is eternal and you crave eternity. You're designed to worship God because he's the only thing that could deserve your infinite worship. And when we don't do that, we turn to other things such as our pain and suffering. When those things become the center of our life, it's horrible. We let them rule us. You know, we're, we're, we're looking down. We get caught up in the pain and suffering. And some, it's like some people I've seen, it's just like you're just caught in it. You're stuck in it. But then you get, shake it up a little bit and you look up at God and you say, oh my. And all those things fall away. Nothing compares to who he is. I just want to read a little bit 
of Job 37. Can't possibly read this all to you, but God says, hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you not know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you not know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfected in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind. Can you, like him, spread out the skies like a hard cast mirror, cast metal mirror? And then again in, in Job 38, I didn't put this on the screen, but let me just read a little bit of this. He says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? Or, or where was its basin sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, who shut the sea with doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits to it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further and here shall your proud ways be stayed. Have you commanded the morning star and caused the dawn to know its place? that it might take hold of the skirts of the sky and the wicked to be shaken out of it. It goes on and on. I, I, I could just keep reading it. God's so intense and so sarcastic with Job. He's even ending, he says, he says, where is the way of the dwelling of the light where the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory, that you may discern the path to its home? Oh, you know for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. He's being sarcastic. Of course not. Of course Job wasn't there. Job's days are numbered. They're not great like God. Oh, you must have been there, Job, when I laid the cornerstone of the universe and stretched out its limits. You must know. Tell me then, Job. Answer my questions. <laughs> and then Job... He responds and says, let's see. He puts his hand over his mouth and I don't have it, but he just, I will not speak again, God. I have said things beyond my understanding. I will be quiet now. I will not complain anymore. Show, show me more of who you are. Clearly, you are more wonderful than anything I have ever experienced and ever have known. So the thought for you today, as God said to Job, stop and consider the wondrous works of God. It is truly freedom from suffering and anguish. It will deliver you because it sets your mind on things above. Where you're supposed to be thinking, your eternal perspective should be on God. And when that's the case, everything else will make sense around you. The rest of your life will make sense. Your food will have taste. 
You will feel again. Your heart will be made whole. You will be restored. Because when we get that right, when we get the perspective of God right, everything else will make sense. The gospel will make sense. Your purpose will make sense. And your suffering will not compare. The last scripture I have for you is from Corinthians says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We are shifting our focus. We desire to be set free and to have a heavenly perspective. The last thing I'll say is this. Sometimes, working at the church, people come in hurt, and they need to share their pain. And by all means, this does not mean that you can't share your hurt. You, can't, you can share it with God, be open, and talk to him, and talk to one another. But sometimes people come in, and I can tell that they feel bad that they're laying their burdens upon me. They're telling me their hurts and their woes, but I always remind them that I can't even carry my own burdens, let alone yours. I took my burdens and threw them on Jesus already. I don't even carry my own weight. So by all means, bring it. Let's go. You can't weigh me down. Bring it. Let's throw it on Jesus. The shoulders of the one who established the universe, I'm sure he can handle it. He can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so you don't have to have it all together bring your pain bring your hurt bring your suffering and we will carry it because we have God on our side so I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into a time of worship and the worship team can come oh Lord man how wonderful and awesome you are. We just are humbled by you, God. And though our pain and anguish, you see, you say, look at me, though. Look at me. Let me remind you how awesome I am. And your hurts and your sufferings will fade away in comparison. I love you, my children. And let us just be wrecked by that, God, today and as we enter into worship. Amen.